All right, sweet. That's right. We need to like be energized here. You got the jersey on, right? Good morning, everyone. Morning. All right, sweet. That's better. All right, as Scott kind of introduced, uh, my name is Jen, also known as Ewan, and I'm part of the teaching team here at Discovery. And if you're just joining with us for the first time this morning, we are currently about halfway through our series on the book of Philippians. And our overarching goal for this series is that we as a church would grow in maturity as we joyfully surrender everything to know Jesus more. Okay? Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, if you guys want to just go ahead and raise your hands, our ushers will gladly bring you one. Uh, write your name in it, mark it up, take it home with you. That is our gift to you this morning. We definitely want you to have a Bible. Anyone need one? Just pass them out. All right, cool. Now, before we get to reading our passage this morning, um, you guys are probably wondering why I'm wearing a football jersey, right? So it's a good question. I'm wearing this football jersey because this morning, the passage we're looking at is all about sprinting through the finish line. It's about running hard and pursuing something, to chase something and to tackle it, and to take it down and to make it your own, right? And I'm wearing a football jersey because I love football, right? Football is a lot of fun. But football, as you guys know, is also a lot of work, right? It's really tiring to play football. But at the end of the day, it's worth it, right? And that's kind of what I want you guys to see this morning as we're looking at the passage. So in case my words fail me and you guys are just confused and have no idea what I'm talking about, at least you've got the visual this morning, okay? All right, let's go ahead and read our passage. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21, and this is the Apostle Paul talking. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray together real quick. Heavenly Father, as we gather together this morning, and we're just excited for the opportunity to dig into your word together. Um, God, this morning is all about you. We come here to worship you. We come here to just be blown away by how great and how good you are, God. And so as we look into your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would just be doing your good work in us, God. Would you open our eyes to see that the race you're calling us to run is so worth it because you, God, are so worth it. And so, Lord, would you have your way in us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our first point this morning is really a pretty simple one, right? And it is this, that there is a race to be run. There is a race to be run. In this passage, as Paul is talking, he actually uses a lot of really kind of intense imagery to help us capture the idea of what he's talking about. So I want to take a look at just a few key words to kind of help us paint the picture here, okay? The first word I want to look at is the word press on, 
right? Press on. You see it up there twice. And this word really kind of captures the idea of chasing something and to be in hot pursuit. Right? In the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used to kind of capture the idea of an opposing army chasing after somebody. Right? There's a real intentionality and pursuit here in this word that Paul uses. The phrase, make it my own, right? that's a word there that's actually a compound word composed of the words to take and the preposition down. Right? Put that together, it's a takedown. Right? And so what is Paul getting at here when he says that I press on to make it my own? It's the idea of intentionally pursuing and chasing after something with the intention of taking it down of tackling it, right? That's the picture that Paul is painting. Straining forward. If you guys have ever gone to the gym, I think you know what it feels like to strain and to work out and to, like, to have every muscle in your body just be tired and sore, right? That's kind of what Paul's talking about. You're pushing forward with everything you have. You're straining towards the goal. And lastly, the words goal and price. Right? The word goal here is talking about the aim, like in archery. It's where you're focused right? Um, and as you guys know, when you're running a sprint, you don't got time to be looking around and enjoying the weather, right? When you're running a sprint, you got to be laser focused on the goal because where you're looking is where your body's going to be aligned. That's where you're going to go. And that's the idea that Paul's talking about here. There's a goal, there's an aim. This is what you're aiming for. And lastly, the word prize. This word is used one other time by Paul in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 9. And he talks there about running a race that you may win a prize. Right, this race here, the word stadia, would have definitely triggered a bell for you know, everyone in Philippi that Paul was writing to. Because this race, stadia, is about a 200-meter dash that was run in kind of the Olympic or Grecian games back then. Right, so when he says about winning the prize, everyone that he was writing to would have immediately known. Right, he's talking about running a race, a 200-meter dash where you're going for the gold. And you guys are all watching the Olympics, Right. Right? All right. Olympics are pretty cool. It's pretty amazing stuff. I don't understand how those snowboarders fall and then just kind of get up and keep on going. Like, I think the last time I snowboarded, I tried to jump, I fell, and I never snowboarded again because it hurt so much. <laughs> um, so, like, those people are really impressive, right? And you look at their life stories. They train their entire lives, right, for this one moment, right? And they're going for the gold out there. Everything they do, everything they eat, everything they work out, everything, their schedules are focused on this one thing, and they're going for the gold. That's what Paul has in mind for us here, right? That the walk of the Christian life, we would run and go for gold, that we would run the race with our eyes on the prize. But there's one other thing I want us to see here, and it's that not only is there a race to run, but also we have not yet arrived at that goal. Okay, Paul says this three times. In verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. In verse 13, he says it again. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Right? And then in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God revealed that also to you. Do you guys see that there? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. And he's saying, I have not yet arrived at the goal. And so I need to press on. Right? And in verse 15, like, notice he's not saying, hey, for you, you know, young Christians out there, yeah, you need to press on. No, he's saying for you who are mature, right, that even for you who are seasoned in your walk with Jesus, he's saying you need to press on because you have not yet arrived, right? Sprinting through the finish line. Now, this seems like such an obvious point, right? 
but I think somehow we miss it all the time. You know, what Paul says here reminds me of a story. Um, back when I was in, just after college, uh, our church in San Diego used to have an annual uh, flag football tournament. And I had the privilege of kind of coaching the girls' team. And it was a ton of fun, just coach the team for that tournament. And you guys know in football, right? When you're going to try to score a touchdown, you catch the ball and you're running, you go 30, 20, 10, and you got to get into the end zone, right? And you get your points. Well, on the day of the tournament, um, one of our defensive girls caught the ball on an interception. And as a defensive player, she's not super used to having the football, right? And so she starts running, which we're like, cool. And she goes 30, 20, 10. And then she turns around and just starts jumping up and down celebrating. And she's like so happy. And the entire like coaching staff and like all of her teammates and even all of the fans are like, keep going. You're not there yet. You've not yet arrived, right? Um, now that picture's just like stuck in my head, but I think that's what Paul is getting at here, right? That we got to keep going. And it's funny when we talk about football, because, you know, it's just flag football. But I got to tell you, it's, it's tragic when we stop short of running after the goal of Jesus, right? And when I look out at the state of the church in America, I see a whole lot of coasting, right? Like somehow in our culture today, in church culture today, we have this idea that like the big things and the big changes that God wants to do in you, he did in those first couple years after you came to know Jesus, right? Like we so often tend to live like that, right? If you think about our stories for so many, it's, man, like Jesus changed me, like big time changed me. And while I'm not perfect, I'm like pretty close now. And I'm kind of just coasting. And sure, maybe I have some rough edges and I need to be polished up a little bit. But for the most part, I'm like pretty close. Like, where do we get that idea from? Right? Where do we get that idea from? The Apostle Paul here is saying, we have not yet arrived, and we need to sprint hard through that finish line. You know, I think when we start to coast through our Christian walks, a lot of us can become really good at just doing church. But how many of us really long to be transformed by God. Like, not just in little ways. I'm talking about in major ways, transformed by God. Right? What would it look like if when we're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, we are still running just as hard after Jesus and longing to be transformed in major ways, just like we did in those days when we first believed? What would our church look like? I want to challenge us, church, to run in that manner, to realize that we have not yet arrived because there is a race to be run, right? And to run with our eyes set on the prize, to run towards the goal. So that naturally raises the question, all right, I hear you, Yuen, right? We're supposed to be running. The Apostle Paul here is saying we're supposed to be running this race, running towards the goal. What is the goal, right? What is it that we're running towards? Now, first off, I want to be really, really clear on this about what the goal is not, okay? Because I think it's easy to get confused on this. The goal here, the race, is not trying to earn God's love. It is not trying to do enough good stuff to earn God's righteousness, right? It is not trying to get into God's 
you know, on God's side, right? Like, in the whole first half of Philippians chapter 3 um, that Scott shared with us last week, Paul spends 11 verses making this super clear, that there is nothing you can do to earn God's righteousness, okay? That there is, that trying to do a bunch of stuff to build up your spiritual resume in order to earn God's love is actually completely antithetical to the grace of God and what he's about, right? Because the grace of God is freely given and it is a gift for us, okay? So I want to make this super clear. And look here at verse 12 with me, right? Notice that it says, Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, right? Notice that as Paul's running this race, Jesus has already tackled him with his love, right? He's already in the arms of Jesus. He already belongs to Jesus, and that's why he's running this race, okay? So to put it this way, we don't run in order to earn the love of Jesus. We run this race because we've already been loved by Jesus, okay? So if that's the race we're running then, right, if we've already been loved by Jesus, then what is the goal that we're after? Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 says like this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's a mouthful. But the idea there of the upward call can also be translated heavenly invitation, right? Heavenly invitation of God in Christ Jesus. This here is basically talking about the goal of salvation. What Christ saved us for, the end goal, this is what we're after. And we can look at this and say, well, it's the heavenly invitation, right? So the goal is heaven. And I'd say, yeah, I think, maybe. <laughs> but I think we need to rethink our understanding of heaven a little bit. So bear with me here. All right, when we say the word heaven, I think for a lot of us we think, I don't know, clouds, harps, kind of disembodied spiritual stuff, wispiness, right? And as much as that has been kind of entrenched into popular media and, and even Christian tradition, that idea of heaven as a disembodied spiritual state is really actually rooted in Greek philosophy, right? the likes of Plato and Aristotle, who taught that the physical world is all bad and the spiritual world is all good, and therefore we're trying to get to like the spiritual heaven. And brothers and sisters, like that is not the view that the Bible teaches, right? Now you guys know how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And that God created the earth and all of creation to be very good. And so the, the hope of scripture, right, the biblical view is that God loves his creation and God has a plan to redeem his creation, okay? So then what is the biblical view of heaven? Now the, the Bible doesn't give us a ton of, like, descriptors of heaven, but there is one thing every time the Bible talks about heaven that is there, and it is this. Heaven is about the presence of God, right? That is what heaven is all about. Let me give you an analogy. When I was a kid, we used to go to grandma's house once a week, every week. And I loved going to grandma's house. My grandma's pretty cool. She cooks amazing Chinese food. She gives me a ton of candy. And she let me watch rated R movies when I was five. That probably scarred me for life. But that's like what grandmas do, right? So, but every week, 
every week, right, we would go to grandma's house without fail. Grandma's house, grandma's house, grandma's house. Now, at some point, my grandma moved from Burlingame, California to Rossmore, California. But every week, we still said we were going to grandma's house, and we would go to grandma's house, and I would look forward to it. Now, why do we call it grandma's house even when she moves? It's because grandma's house really has nothing to do with the physical house, right? It's not about the location of the house. Grandma's house is simply where grandma is. It's grandma's presence that makes it grandma's house. With me? In the same way, right, God's presence is what makes it heaven. Okay, heaven without God is not heaven at all. Okay, so that's a view of heaven. Now, why is this important? Let's look at verse 20 here. It says that our citizenship is in heaven, right? present tense, in heaven, in the presence of God. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys catch that, right? That the ultimate hope of the Christian is not that we would go to some spiritual disembodied state, but rather that we're eagerly anticipating and waiting for our Savior Jesus to come, right, and to redeem all things. Read on. What is Jesus going to do when he comes? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, but the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do you guys think much about the resurrection body? Right? This is crazy stuff. Do you see that? Like it says that we're going to have a glorious body. Like what? It's pretty cool. Now what is a glorious body? Like does it mean that I'm going to be dunking on people when I have a glorious body? Hopefully. Um, but I think the Bible actually has something a lot better than dunking on people in mind. Because it says here that this glorious body will be like Jesus. Right? What does that mean? It means that when we have our resurrection, fully redeemed, glorious bodies, we will have bodies that are 100% free from the effects of sin. Right? We will have bodies that are 100% free from the penalty, from the power, from the very presence of sin. And it means that every fiber in my being will be fully aligned with glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Like, man, that sounds awesome. Right? I can't wait. It means that we won't struggle anymore. Right? You guys probably feel the tension today. Right? There's this idea of, man, this is what I want to do, but then this is what I believe God's calling me to do, and I'm like in this awkward struggle of having to decide what I'm going to do. When we have glorious bodies, our very desire and the whole of our being is going to be 100% committed and aligned to glorifying God and enjoying him forever. It means that the way we wake up in the morning and the way we make our lattes and the way we hang out with our friends, like everything we do will be to God's glory perfectly. That sounds amazing. I can't wait for that. Now, why is this important? Right? Why is it important to realize that the end goal for us is not a disembodied spiritual state, but resurrection bodies in Christ, made into the likeness of Christ? It's because I think that when we're running this race and we limit and we think that it's all about just going to a spiritual only place, right? Disembodied spiritual place. We tend to make pursuing Jesus and running this race only about spiritual stuff, right? We think of running this race only as stuff like 
praying and reading the Bible and fasting. And, and we tend to think that if you're all in for Jesus, then you're going to be a missionary or a pastor because they're focused on spiritual stuff, right? And while all of that is really, really, really good, right, it's all really good, when we limit God to only spiritual stuff, we create this false dichotomy that excludes God from the whole of the rest of our lives. Right? But when we realize that God, that the end goal, right, is resurrection bodies redeemed by Jesus, then we begin to realize that God cares about everything. Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, that whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Now, eating and drinking are two of my favorite things both of which require a physical body to do, right? And Paul's saying you're going to do that to the glory of God. There's a way in which God is calling us then not just to do spiritual stuff. No, he wants all of us. And he wants us to be glorifying him in everything we do. So when we talk about running this race and pursuing hard after the goal, the question I want to ask for us is, are we willing to allow God to change the way we do everything? right, to change the way we work, to change the way our friendships, right, to change the way we study, right, everything God wants it to be for his glory, and he wants to conform us into the image of Christ. So lastly then, how do we run? How do we run this race? It really comes down to mindset, attitude, focus. Right, in verses 16 to 21, Paul here gives us a juxtaposition. Right? It's a juxtaposition between those who set their minds on earthly things and those who walk and live as citizens of heaven. Now let's look first at the negative. Right? Now clearly here when it says earthly things, as we just saw, he's not talking about physical realities. Right? What he's talking about when he says earthly things is the values of a sinful and broken world, right? And Paul says here, right, that for many of whom I have often told you and I'll tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This idea of your God being your belly, it's not talking about eating a lot, but could talking about basically pursuing after your own desires, right? That whatever desires you have, whatever appetite you have, that's what you go after. When it talks here about glory and their shame, it's talking about boasting and the very things that we should be ashamed of. And here's the crazy thing, right? When I look at our culture today, and really throughout all of human history, those two things are very much at the heart of kind of what the world, right, values. We value our own autonomy. We value making our own decisions. We value being able to do what we want to do, right, and pursuing our own desires. And the crazy thing is we not only value that, we boast in those things, right? Those are kind of like the building blocks of the kingdom of man, right? That those are the very things we tend to celebrate. Right? We live in a me society where we have more tools than ever to be able to show the world how great our lives are and how great we are right? And to get a bunch of likes. Um, and the things we celebrate, right, are naturally 
kind of, of the worldly values, right? We run that rat race. And here's a sobering, sobering warning, right? Is that Paul says here that for those of us who walk in that way, we're walking as enemies of the cross of Christ and his destruction. And that should be a sobering warning to us because I think if we're tempted to just coast and to just go with the flow, the flow of the world goes against the cross of Christ, right? So what's the flip side of that? What's the positive side of this? Well, the positive side of this is to walk and to live as citizens of heaven, right? That we would run with our minds set upon the gospel truth that we are already citizens of heaven. Look here in verse 16, right? Notice that Paul here says, let us hold true to what we have attained, right? He's speaking here of an idea that you already have something. And in verse 20, right, notice here what Paul is saying. He says, your citizenship is in heaven, not will be in heaven, right? There's a sense that we are already in the presence of God today. Here I want to kind of share with you guys the idea of the concept of the already and the not yet. Some of you might have heard it before, right? But the Bible has some pretty incredible claims of who we already are in Jesus. Right here, in verse 20, we see that we are already citizens of heaven. We saw earlier that we have already been tackled by the love of Jesus. In Ephesians 2.6, it says that we are already seated in the heavenly places with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that we are already new creations. And in Romans chapter 8, it says that we already have the spirit of adoption and sonship that allows us to cry out to God, Abba, Father. Right? Or in colloquial terms, it means that we can call God dad. Right? Like we already have all of that because of what Christ has given us. And what Paul is talking about here is that the way we run this race is not to add on a whole bunch of other stuff. No. The way we run this race is to set our minds and our attitude and our hearts and our focus upon who we already are in Jesus. You guys with me on that? Right? To so set our minds on the fact that Jesus has already loved us and we have this love relationship in him and we can walk in it and be with him. Now, how many of you guys know of the term couple face? No? All right. Well, hey, it's Chinese New Year, so I get to throw out a cultural tidbit here. Couple face is this uh, Chinese term that we have. And it captures the idea, this phenomenon, that when two people get married and they spend a ton of time together, they naturally start to look like each other, right? Uh, if you guys have seen my wife, she looks just like me. Um, or maybe I look just like her, I don't know, um, right? But it's this idea of couple face, is that when you spend a ton of time with somebody in a loving relationship with them, you naturally start to pick up on their habits, on the way they think, on the way they act, on their facial expressions, and then you kind of just start to look alike, okay? And it's kind of a crazy example, but I think that's what Paul is getting at here, right? Is that we are called to run this race with everything we have, but it's not by doing a whole bunch of other stuff, no. It's by orienting ourselves to the loving relationship we already have in Jesus, to the fact that we are already citizens of heaven in the presence of God, right? And to live in that. And as we do that, 
we will naturally be conformed into the image of Jesus by his power at work in us. So we talked about a ton of things this morning. Kind of recap a few key points, right? We looked at the fact that there's a race to be run. And it's not just some strolling along race. No, this is a 200-meter dash, intense, laser-focused race with our eye on the prize. We've seen how we have not yet arrived at the goal and how ridiculous it is to stop at the 10-yard line and start celebrating a touchdown early, right? And that the call here is for us to press on, for every one of us to sprint through the finish line and finish well, no matter how young or how old we are, right? To long for real transformation. And we've seen that the goal that we're pursuing, yes, is heaven, defined as the presence of God, but it looks even beyond just heaven as a spiritual disembodied state. No, we're looking to resurrection bodies conformed to the likeness of Jesus and how sweet that'll be, right, when every part of us is fully aligned with glorifying God and enjoying him forever. And lastly, we saw that running this race is about aligning ourselves with the truth of what we have already received in the gospel of Jesus, right, that we are already citizens of heaven captivated by his love, that we would marinate in that and couple face into the likeness of Jesus. Now, we've marked up the passage a lot, but it would be, we would be remiss if we stopped here and walked out this morning just knowing a little bit more about Philippians chapter 3, right? Because the whole point of what Paul is getting at here is that we would run the race and long to be transformed. And so I want to ask us this morning, church, do you long to be transformed? What are some very practical ways that we might be able to take steps to run this race? Two ideas for you. The first one is what are we doing to daily orient ourselves into the fact that we are already citizens of heaven and already in a loving relationship with Jesus? Right? There is so much busyness in the world around us, even so much busyness like in church, right, that we can do a ton of stuff and somehow forget that Jesus loves us, right? Somehow forget that we are children of God who have full access to him because of what Christ has done, that we can come before God and call him dad, right? For some of us, maybe you're burnt out and you're tired. Let this be an encouragement to you, right, that we can come and that we can rest in the love of Jesus. And so I want to challenge us, though, as a church to consider how are we taking time every day to make sure that we are focused on who we already are in Jesus and his love for us. The second thing that I want to challenge us is to just pick one area in your life, one non-churchy like area, right? just one everyday area in your life. Maybe it's the way you make your latte. I don't know. Maybe it's how you play basketball. Maybe it's how you go shopping. Maybe it is how you study or how you work or how you relate with your friends right, or your family or your children. Pick one area and really consider and ask God, what would it look like to live in this area as a citizen of heaven? What would it look like to live in this area of my life? What would it look like if I had a glorified body already? Right? What would it look like to be 100% committed to glorifying God in 
everything I do in this particular arena, right? And really consider. And the question for us is, are we willing, right, to change? Not just in little tweaks and polishes, but if God would challenge us to say, hey, I want to transform you in this area of your life. Are we willing to run after him in that? Guys, if I'm honest with you, as I was prepping for this over like the past month, ah, uh, this passage is really challenging, but also really exciting, right? It's really challenging because I kind of like my life the way it is, right? Like it's pretty comfortable, it's pretty chill, and I don't like change. So to hear the word of God here calling me out and saying, hey, you're not there yet, right? Keep running the race. You have not yet arrived. It's like, ah, uh, really? <laughs> okay? Right? It's a challenge. But as I studied this passage more, it's also crazy exciting. Because when you realize what the goal is that God is calling you to, this idea that we can grow in being conformed into his image, that we can start to experience that even today, right? Even as we're waiting for the fullness of Christ's return, the idea that I can start to be glorifying God with every fiber of my being, right? In little ways here and there and to see God transform me, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that, right? And so there's a race to be run. It's a challenge, but there's a race to be run and it's worth it and it's exciting. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for just how amazing you are, God. First and foremost, that you loved us first. God, we thank you that you don't call us to run this race because we need to earn something. No, you've invited us to run this race because you love us and you have something incredible in store for us. And so God, for those of us who are here this morning that are coming here tired or maybe who are coming here and forgetting your amazing love or maybe have not yet experienced your amazing love, God, I pray that you would just overflow us with your abundance of love and your grace, God. But God, for those of us here who maybe are content to kind of just coast along, God, I pray that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would challenge us and move us to long after you and to run this race, not because of any sense of guilt or because we have to, God, no, but because we are excited, incredibly excited about the hope that you have set before us in what you will accomplish in Jesus. God, and we thank you that we get to run this race, not with fear, but with confidence, because you are both the author and the perfecter of our faith, and you will finish the good work that you started in us. So God, we just come before you this morning, and we thank you, and we pray that you will have your way in us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.